0: afternoon, and you are listening to The Scoop on 101.9 FM. I'm Meg Herrod and this is a special segment of Everyday City on The Scoop. Everyday City is a show about decoding planning processes and inspiring civic action in our community. This is my first show back since the new year. Happy late 2021. And I'm really excited to share this first segment in a series focusing on affordable housing. A quick scan of the news or social media and you will inevitably see the need for affordable housing come up. Two weeks ago, a public dialogue was started in the Kingstonist about the inaction we see in Kingston to address this crisis. A crisis that is not new to our city and the blame does not lie on the pandemic. Rather, this crisis is 30 years old and built into the structures and the policies that govern our city, our province, and our country. I'm going to dive into this crisis in my next segment and more to come, and I'll be asking, why are we in this crisis and how do we get out of it? But for today, I'm picking up from the letter that was written by Kingston's Melody Ballard, a housing advocate and a former committee member on the City's Housing and Homelessness Committee that was published in The Kingstonist. Melody wrote about why she chose to leave the Housing and Homelessness Committee and the challenges she faced in pushing for housing action while on the committee. Since Melody's letter, there have been several other letters published, so let's keep the dialogue going. In this episode, I've also had the pleasure of speaking with Councillor Bridget Doherty to respond to Melody's letter. You'll hear from her later on. I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Melody now. In our conversation, Melody will explain the housing crisis in Kingston and share her personal experience. So, Melody, welcome to CFRC. Um, Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today to talk about our housing crisis. Um, Melody, you submitted a letter to the editor Mm -hmm. That was published in The Kingstonist on Friday of last week. Um, I did. And you shared your experience about being part of the city's Housing and Homelessness Committee and as a result why you decided to leave. So Hmm. Melody, what is the role of this committee?
1: The Housing and Homelessness Committee it is their job to look at, um, uh, critique uh, city's progress, where the city is in their sort of trajectory and their goals. Um, but it is also their job to uh, bring things to the city's attention that they think are relevant um, uh, to, uh, to housing and homelessness in, uh, in the city.
0: And so I understand that you've been on the committee for two years. Um, And why did you get involved, initially?
1: Uh, Well, I think that uh, democracy works best when people outside of the government show up and participate. Um, I think that the housing crisis is far more serious than people with secure housing or income realize. I know we as a community acknowledge the crisis a lot, but I can't put a fine enough point on how bad it's gotten. Um, I think that we're looking at losing a lot of people in our community, like there's going to be a lo- a large loss of low income individuals and families. Um, I think that the crisis has reached a critical point and that the city's bureaucratic reaction is more, it's more lip service than action. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of us are so panic stricken, stricken by the severity of it that like we hardly. Um, have the energy to talk about it. Um, You know, we're talking about people who see Kingston as their forever home, people who actively hold up and support our community, volunteers, family members, caregivers, artists. These people are staring down the barrel of being forced out of the one hour commute radius uh, to Kingston. And the pandemic isn't helping, but the problem was here long before it. Um, I got involved because I have relevant experience with housing instability and i felt like i had the ability to thoughtfully articulate it um and i don't want my difficulties to be in vain i want them to be learned from i want people who come after me to have it better than i did um yeah
2: yeah that's all
1: so
0: important so you mentioned a lack of action on the part of the city and hearing your comments just now about the influence you wanted to make and want to make in this city. What checks and balances are there to make sure that action is taken so the folks you're talking
1: about don't have to leave Kingston? Uh, there really aren't any. There there aren't any. Um... Some people are blowing the whistle and speaking up and talking about how bad it is. Um, but it's really hard, it's still really hard to drive the point home at, at um, just how bad it is and uh, just how much we really, we need to do more. We need emergency measures um, put in place. I, I personally think that um, we might need to look at redefining the term affordable housing, because right now the city calls that 80% of market value, but the market just went up 30% and our, our incomes didn't go up 30%. So this affects who qualifies for uh, housing subsidies and, and for how much. I, I think that things like this need to be reviewed.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point around incomes not keeping up with the housing market. Um, Do you think that there's innovations that Kingston could be a leader on um, in terms of different policies or different actions?
1: Their their current approach is, they're calling it a two-pronged approach. And the first prong is let's fund more social housing, The second one is let's incentivize private developers to build more rentals. Um, And I challenged the city in meetings. I said, look, um, we could be doing more. And they said that that really just, that captures their entire um, scope of what they can do. And I insist that um, we could be reviewing regulations. Mm -hmm. Not all solutions need to cost us money. You know i yeah. think that part of why they think that's all they can do is that they're looking at the budget going eh, you know the, I, I think that the crisis is i think the price the crisis is very big um considering what the city has to work with financially um it's a lot it's a lot on the on them on the municipality but i also think that um not all our solutions have to cost money and maybe we could be looking at regulations that historically oppress people living in poverty Mm -hmm. and maybe rewrite things so that they are not oppressive and offer people more creative ways of lifting themselves up that are legal. I mean, our OW program in Kingston is jointly run by the new municipality and the province. But I mean, even the rule that if you earn a dollar, we're going to take half of it away it disincentivizes working it's pretty um it's not it's not a dignified um and it's not encouraging mm-hmm. and and i think that um we need to look at rules like that you know yeah. when people in poverty are trying to make their own life better where are we standing in their way because those solutions might just be free yeah
0: And I want to bring up a point you mentioned in your letter, which is around discrimination in leases, unmonitored rent raises, landlord-tenant conflicts, and how it falls between sort of a provincial and a municipal regulatory gap. Um, Could you describe what's going on and what do you think needs to happen here?
1: Yeah. So anybody curious about what's going on in the market uh, who maybe isn't looking for a place to live right now maybe maybe you've got something and you're okay um I encourage you to pretend that you need an apartment and go online and see what it takes to actually get an appointment to see a physical place but um, I want to add an issue to the list that you just mentioned Um, and it's pre-screening applications I think that they've gotten out of hand um they're actually they're called pre-screening applications but they're actually full-blown applications uh it used to be that a landlord just it, they just sussed out your lifestyle are you student professional family single they would figure out if you smoke or had pets or needed parking and that was it mm-hmm. you would get a look at the place meet the landlord and from there you'd both decide if it was a good fit or not maybe then you'd fill out an application uh, but nowadays landlords are uh insisting on these full applications being filled out uh, before you get to meet them. And this is problematic for many reasons because um, you haven't met them in person. Sometimes you meet somebody in person and you don't get a good vibe. You know, you don't want to do business with them and you're super happy that they don't have <laughs> two pages <laughs> of your private information. <laughs> you're like, ah, pass, right? But it also allows discrimination before getting to show yourself and who you are. Maybe somebody goes, oh God, this person's a single parent, you know, sorry. You know, this place isn't great for families. And, and it's just, um, it's problematic for that. But the other, the third reason why there's a huge problem with these pre screens is they, they take a considerable amount of time to fill out. And a lot of times they lead to a dead end. Like a lot of times you don't even get a response. Yeah. Um, But it's taking a considerable amount of emotional energy for people um, to find a place. And a lot of us in the pandemic have been laid off. Myself, I'm living on EI right now. If my application says that, you know, will I even get to see a place? My application also says I'm a single parent to a five-year-old. And so with these two things being real, for the life of me, I'm having the hardest time um, finding somewhere to live in town. And I think that the pre-screens need to be discussed um, okay. a lot. And I, I, and I think that there is a place for regulation in the rental market. I'm, I've actually been looking into this myself. So I questioned the city um, in a meeting. I asked them who is in charge of this, and they insisted it wasn't them. They told me that this is a provincial matter regulating the housing market. Um, But I went to our MPP's office and they said that regulating um, rental markets are supposed to, it's supposed to be a joint effort between the province and the municipality. Um, So we are several years into a housing crisis and our local representatives can't agree on whose job it is to make sure that people are following the rules. Right. We shouldn't be waiting for vulnerable people to speak up.
0: Yeah. And it's it's kind of wild that the onus of this like massive, you know, regulatory gap that's between province and municipality is then falling to folks who may be experiencing struggles in housing. And what are your options?
1: Yeah. When you get a landlord who's asking you to use an illegal screening service for them to consider you as a tenant. Or when you reach out to five different landlords and they all send you a pre-screening application, right? What are you going to do? Like you kick up too much of a fuss and you're not going to find anywhere. Right. But it is really, it's, it's, um, there's too much power in the landlord's hands for how the process works right now. There isn't a lot of consideration for how difficult it is. Um, but there's a certain point where housing is a human right. And, um, we need to talk about how choosy the landlords in our city are being is everybody being serviced if you're trying to turn all the rental units into high-end units for young professionals and students only um what are you doing what are you doing to the more vulnerable people in our city um what what's in place to protect them
0: yeah
1: i'm not seeing anything
0: right thank you for raising this point melody and i mean i guess we'll have to circle back with you when you learn more from the province, because it just seems like such a huge gap in our community right now. Melody, I know this is a big subject around uh, Bell Park, but it's also a really important one. So, and I know you've been uh, speaking out a bit around this issue. So I wanted to ask you, how how should these scenarios of July have been handled in your opinion and then also how is this present right now? Has any change or action occurred to support folks?
1: Well um I'm first gonna say that um the city talks about housing these folks like it was work they were doing themselves Mm -hmm. I think it's important to point out that the city at no at no point did the city house any of these individuals. It was those tasks were offloaded to community organizations. So some of the folks in Bell Park were housed over the summertime. I think I forget the number now. I think I think it was somewhere in the late teens, somewhere around 18 folks were housed or I I forget the number. But anyways, a bunch of people were housed but they were housed because community organizations showed up, liaisoned with them, and worked in the private market to find them somewhere. Um, And not everybody was housed. And there's a lot of people who fell through the gap. Uh, Not much has been done since, but I mean, if we're looking, if we're waiting for community organizations to find solutions in the private market a private market that I've been looking for housing in, and arguably I have a competitive edge against people who are relying on OW, you know? OW won't even pay your rent, let alone get your food. Like, it's, it's so low it makes you wonder if prison's a better option, you know? It's just, it's ridiculous. And I am struggling to find a place to live. I, I can't imagine how hard it is for them to find somewhere appropriate in the city. I think that the crisis is so big that it really does require bold action. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's stuck in our ways. I don't think we're being bold enough. Um, and I think it's going to take something bold um, mm-hmm. to get us out. Right. I wish that Bell Park, I wish that the eviction had been dealt with differently. I think that I think that it was really traumatizing the way that they, they brought a lot of police officers to guard a perimeter and it held people out. And I really wish the city had taken the time to talk to the grassroots people who were visiting um, the tent city every day, getting to know the folks there, seeing if, you know, what can you use? Can we help you with anything? Um, they, A lot of them were not happy about the eviction. They didn't want to see an eviction at all. But the attitude, the attitude on eviction day was, we're not gonna change this. We don't want to kick up a fuss so big that we're part of traumatizing people let's just show up and help them move out. Let's just help them carry their stuff. So, you know, they were deliberately trying to not get close and talk. And, and I think that, that I, I don't think that that's a very productive way for people to get things done together. Right. Yeah, for sure. And that's this kind of, this kind of circles back to my experience as a committee member. Um, I am, I guess you could say I have, you know, I have ground floor experience with an issue in the city. And um, they will give me my time to talk, but it doesn't get, it doesn't get heard in a meaningful way. I think that the people in the city have a hard time learning lessons from grassroots organizations. And the grassroots people really are the experts on what, what the current issues are and what the up and coming issues are. And we need to find a better way of getting those learnings into City Hall and incorporate it into de- city decision-making.
0: Right. And I think that goes back to your, your statement on the importance of being bold. Melody, thank you so much. I hear such strength in your voice and, and I know that this is a fight that's gonna, that's gonna continue and it's, it needs to. Melody has raised so many important issues. The fact of the matter is that our housing crisis does not impact everyone equally. But as a community, don't we need to understand the precarity that exists in searching for and finding stable housing? Melody describes Bell Park and this past summer's homeless encampment that led to evictions in the end, bringing up really critical questions around who is public space for And where do you go when you're asked to leave it? Melody describes a system of discrimination built into rental applications, the emotional toll it takes on a person to not have stable housing, and the government policies that frankly, hold people down instead of lifting them up. At the same time, Melody's activism and her drive is inspiring. It really struck me, her comment, that not all solutions need dollars, but they do need action. And the tangible things that can be done, like bringing voices of experience into City Hall to change harmful policies and to advocate for better. I've asked Councillor Bridget Doherty to speak about her experience and the response she had to Melody's letter. Councillor Doherty is a council representative on the Housing and Homelessness Committee that Melody formerly sat on as well. Here's an excerpt from our conversation from earlier last week. Uh, Well, welcome Councillor Doherty to CFRC on this snowy day. Uh, Yeah,
2: nice to meet you.
0: So there was an important letter to the editor last week in the Kingstonist that really expresses some frustration with housing action in the city of Kingston And this was written by a city's um, member from the Housing and Homelessness Committee um, and I've had the privilege of speaking with um, Melody Ballard. So we want to spark some dialogue about this really critical issue um, that's, you know, that's at the forefront of a lot of our minds, um, especially as we are finding ourselves in both a pandemic and a housing crisis. Councillor, what are your thoughts? Are we doing enough as a city to address this issue, housing affordability?
2: So actually you know this is a decade-long problem but I just want to add that we're actually in the middle of three crises. We have um, a housing and homelessness issue as in um, a shortage of affordable housing. We have an opioid crisis and we have of course the pandemic. Um, our current council, we, we, you know, it's been, the alarm has been ringing for a while and it is one of our five priorities. Um, are we doing a, enough? Absolutely not. But I really see the crisis around Bell Park um, opened our eyes even more.
0: Right.
2: And it also created more awareness in the community at large. And, uh, and we can no longer say that we continue the way we have, doing little bits here and little bits there. We need to be much more proactive. Um, but the pandemic, you know, really turned these, little, these cracks into crevices. I wanna jump in
0: on a comment Councillor Doherty raised and that's that we are also living through an opioid epidemic. This is a public health emergency and overdose deaths continue to rise. This year is one of the worst on record. Between March and May, so early days of the pandemic, there was 25% increase in overdose deaths in Ontario alone. We cannot separate this from our housing crisis. We have very little housing available. And within that, a really tiny amount of supportive housing there's a really prominent school of thought called housing first. The idea is that getting folks into proper housing is the first step to supporting people. It's about believing that housing is a right and all people deserve it. Here's another excerpt. How are we making sure we're elevating the voices of lived experience? And, and Melody mentions using community as a resource um, so how do we do a better job of
2: that? And maybe it's not committees, but what ways can we elevate these voices? I am a real strong advocate for working together. Uh, we make better policies when we have the community's voice at the table, uh, and that's for everything—not just homelessness. It's also for climate change and all the large issues that we need to try to, to resolve. That's why last week we uh, I brought that up at the meeting, that's one of the first things I brought up, like what can we do differently as we move forward? In other words, what have we learned from last year uh, through the Bell Park experience to bring um, the community voice uh, stronger to the table, I think. And we discussed uh, reviewing the terms of reference of this committee. And when people do have the courage to speak up, then that is that—that's a voice that we really need to listen to. It's really important because it's a real gift when somebody has the courage to to speak about this issue. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Thank you for for saying that. It's it's a really important message, and, and I'm glad you're you brought that up. H-
2: homelessness is such a complicated issue. Um, yeah. It's, um, you know, like, it's, it's about um, physical and mental health challenges. It's about our healthcare system. It's our, about our mental health care system that really has been, um, you know, reduced and changed through government policies in the past. And it's not something that the city hasn't been aware of, nor is it something that just happened or, and nor is it an issue that's just in Kingston, it's in fact in pretty well every city across Canada. Uh, We really need to push other levels of government, both federally and provincially, to help solve that. Just like we need the voice of the community, we actually need the voice and the support of other levels of government. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really do need a minimum income guarantee that is above the poverty line in income that uh, people can uh, be ensured that they pay no more than 30% for their shelter costs. These, these are really important policy changes that we need to introduce in Canada to ensure that everybody's looked after.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, these are all, it's so complex as you're saying, and there's so many layers to this from the different layers of government um, and, and what you're hitting on, and I think Melody's letter hits on it as well, is poverty is underlying. And unless we can get some of these supports in place to help the person, um, you know, we're, we're maybe not going to, uh, you know, make progress on housing unless we're drilling down at these roots. And so I'm wondering what that incites for you in terms of the city's housing and homelessness strategy and how we're integrating um, work on poverty reduction into these, you know, s- strategies that talk a lot about building housing stock.
2: That's a very good question. Um, the city uh, we have become a member of the um, Living Wage. Okay. We signed up to become, uh, you know, t- to be a Living Wage employer. And that was really also to encourage other other companies to pay living wages. These are conversations, again, they're due to, often they're due to policies on other government levels, but it's actually in the community where you actually feel the impact of that. Such complicated issues with such deep roots Mm -hmm. of, policy changes that are required, and even public attitudes that are required. It's really important for people to understand that, including business owners, that everybody benefits in a community when people are paid proper wages. We need to have a strong, resilient community. So we need to work on these policies.
0: This excerpt from our conversation is an important one. When incomes fell further and further behind the cost of living, how on earth can you afford housing? The affordability standard for housing in Canada is that 30% of your income goes to rent. The fact of the matter is, what do you do when that 30% is just not attainable? You pay more and you keep your home because what other option is there? It's not like our rents are going down. So this conversation about living wage or basic income or really any policy measures that support a person is crucial to addressing the housing crisis. I'm wrapping it up for today. That was The Scoop and this was a special segment by Everyday City, me, Meg Harrod. But I'm looking forward to diving into housing with you all with more episodes coming your way. Follow me on Twitter at EverydayCityYGK or look me up. I'd love to hear from you and spark some dialogue about affordable housing. Here's the last word from Councillor
2: Doherty. Will we get enough affordable housing built in the in the next two years? Because our term is next year at the end of next year already? No. Are we heading in the right direction? Yes. We are definitely have learned a lot from this. The integrated care hub is a great example. We're building lots, including tiny homes, as we said, we, were, we are committed to. Um, so we are most definitely moving in a much better direction than before the pandemic and than before Bell Park. So yes, I am
1: hopeful that we are making improvements.